The five whys is when you look at businesses who already have strategies in place, who have already defined strategy, we, add, we go through the five why exercise. Why does this strategy exist? And we ask five times. And we get to the point where we find a common theme, which is what we call the most important goal. Welcome to the Manage Self Lead Others Leadership Podcast with Nina Sunday for experienced and aspiring people managers. This show will help you explore ways to become a more intentional leader. Each episode, host Nina Sunday speaks with some of the brightest business minds on the planet who share a passion to elevate and transform team culture. Workplace culture hides in plain sight. Is yours flourishing? Join the movement to make your workplace a better place to work. Are you ready? Because it's time to manage self, lead others. No MBA is necessary to listen to this episode. Just an intense interest in increasing your organization's effectiveness and profitability, and to learn from a master about using the business hierarchy of needs framework. It results in stakeholder alignment, employee engagement, and profitability results. Jim Gitney has over 45 years of operating experience in corporate America and as the CEO of Group 50 Consulting. He learned his trade with companies such as GE, Stanley Black & Decker, Sunbeam, and over 200 companies ranging from startups to multi-billion dollar publicly traded companies during the last 18 years of consulting. He held leadership positions his entire career. He's been on boards of directors in the C-suite, managed manufacturing, marketing, engineering, quality, and a host of other functional organizations. During that time, he saw lack of strategic alignment and agreement throughout organizations he worked with, as well as poorly executed technology and business process. These were the common denominator to failed strategies. Jim created the business hierarchy of needs in 2013 and uses it as the framework of designing and implementing strategy with great success since then. Strategy realized the business hierarchy of needs is his efforts to collect the key learnings from the last 45 years and share them with you as a step-by-step -step process for turning strategy to results. His book, Strategy Realized, The Business Hierarchy of Needs, Turning Strategy into Results, provides a unique framework for companies to successfully move from their current state to their desired future state. Welcome, Jim Gitney. Well, thank you, Nina. I, I really appreciate the opportunity to be part of your show. Uh, this is a this topic. The topic in your podcast is a passion for me, and so I hope that I can provide the value that you expect and your listeners expect. Oh, I feel feel very confident that will happen, Jim. So. We're going to be talking about the ideas in your book, The Business Hierarchy of Needs, and of course, uh, your uh, the framework that you've created and applied in 40 plus years of uh, uh, consulting to, to large corporations, such as the one mentioned. What are people not talking about when it comes to strategy, just to get the ball rolling? So it's interesting. Uh, strategy in my entire career has been the domain of the C-suite. Boards of directors, chief executive officers, chief marketing, you know, see something or another, leaders. 
And the tendency is for that group of people, really smart, really intelligent people, to put together the strategy. But then it's kind of like hitting a wall. And the, what I mean by that is they've taken months, weeks or months to put together their business strategy. And then they're challenged with how to communicate it to the rest of the organization. So what they're not talking about is the rest of the organization and how to get them actively involved in, in the development and implementation of strategy. That's so common with any change initiative, Jim. It's top down. And we have to make it the whole organization through through to all levels, including the individual contributors. Would you agree? Absolutely. Absolutely. And, And with no disrespect to individual contributors, professionals, and key influencers, I call them others. Reason why I use the term others. And I spent a lot of time thinking about this. All right. If you think about a business strategy today, in today's organizations in the United States, I don't know that much about organizations in Australia, but in the United States, 30 plus percent of the people in an organization are contract workers. I see. And they, yes. They, and, and so when I talk about, when I mention the word others, what we're talking about is contractors, temporary employees individual contributors, vendors, and customers. Because the the entire, the, one of the things, because I'm a manufacturing guy, I talk about supply chains. You do. And everybody, the world is a supply chain. Everybody has one. You have a supply chain. You found me. You have, we had to do a lot of work in the beginning. You know, this podcast is value add. And then you have to figure out how to get it out to your constituents. So when what people are not talking about is how do we engage all stakeholders, the others, to make sure that they are part of the development and part of the implementation of strategy. And so you talk about there being three important steps. The very first important step is to identify the most important goal. Well, if you're not yes. telling everybody what it is, you it, people will forget that's what you're working towards. Is that right? Absolutely. And in my book, I even go as far as saying that the most important goal for a company should be on the startup screen of every corporate computer. I totally agree. Do you know what? I used that trick about 10 years ago when we had a new website. Oh, and we go. we we did that on the startup screens. I think that's that's a basic. That's really good. That's excellent. In fact, yeah. I think I need to bring that back in. <laughs> okay. Well, I mean, at the, at the end of the day, what we're what are we attempting to do? What we're attempting to do is to engage as many people as possible mm. in the de- implementation and development of strategy. And what the reason that that we use the most important goal? Let, let's before I go there. Let me share with you how the most important goal fits in this hierarchy of needs. Wonderful. Let's do that. Okay. So every company talks about mission, which is your true north. Yep. Vision, which is the puts the flesh, some flesh on the bones for your mission. And then we talk about values, 
which is the definition of how we want to treat each other and how we want to relate to each other and how we want to work together. Exactly. Now, I, I take the next step and talk about leadership traits. Very few organizations have leadership traits. As, as, part as of identified as attributes, this is how our leaders operate. So leadership, yes, this is how our leadership operates and how, and the skill set our leadership needs to have. Mm. And, and I had this conversation with a client this morning. They're, they're going to go out and find a new marketing executive, right? And we're using the business hierarchy of needs and where to play and how to win, which I'll come to later, as the basis for the, the development and implementation of their strategy. So we were talking about this new marketing executive, and I said, what traits do you want this marketing executive to exhibit? And of course, their comment is, well, we want, we want her or him to be good at sales, and we want him to understand sales, and we want him to be good at marketing and all that. And I said, is that all? And they went, well, yeah, should there be something else? And I said, well, your strategy is to significantly grow your business. Their, their, their most important goal is 35 by 25. And, and that is to be $35 million by 2025. That's a catchy and, goal. <laughs> and so, so what I said was, okay, e-com is a significant part of that. Your marketing person needs to be significantly skilled in e-commerce and how to talk to and influence people in the marketplace who are doing shopping via e-commerce, who are looking for your product via e-commerce. And so every leader needs should have a should have significant knowledge of the technologies that are required to support the business. That's an example of a leadership trait. Now we put those four things together, mission, vision, values, and leadership traits. And we that's the building of the foundational base of the business. And we put the most important goal on it so that we can easily communicate to all of the stakeholders in the business what the business is attempting to accomplish over their strategic plan timeline. So as I mentioned to you, you know, 35 by 25, and I'll, this company was $15 million when I started working with them two and a half years ago. They're going to do 25 this year. And we've put together business strategies on how they're going to get to $35 million. And that impacts what type of leaders we need, but it clearly communicates to the entire organization what the most important goal is for the business. Got it. Yeah. And uh, it, it comes right down to uh, recruitment when you're uh, hiring people and making sure you get the right traits on board. That's that's really good. Absolutely. And that, that, that whole hiring thing is part of level two, which is knowledge and change management. So level one is strategy uh, and analytics, creating and culture, creating that strong base. Level two of the business hierarchy of needs is called knowledge and change management. 
And it's all about organization and people. Mm-hmm. And we talk about, I say that that's the bridge between strategy and results. Well, it certainly is because it's not just about the tech, the technical aspects of a change. It's it's winning the hearts and minds of the people, so they go with the change and want to participate and not resist. Well, also giving them the skills they need and the training they need in order to be able to meet the future needs of the business. So, think about a fifteen million dollar business versus a thirty-five million dollar business. It's not the same business. It has a different organization structure. It has a different technology backbone. It's serving many more channels of distribution and many more markets. So the people, the organization structure, and the people inside that organization need to be different. Yeah, absolutely. There are some really catchy um, uh, phrases that you use, and especially around uh, the most important goal. It's like from... What is it? From what to what by when? Yes. I've started using that already. I think it's Uh, excellent. Thank you so much. I'm very pleased to hear that. So, Nina, in a lot of the conversations that I have with organizations and in other podcasts that I've done, it goes something like this. We all need to be led. Now think about that for a second. If you're a leader, you're saying, well, I'm leading. Well, that's not really true because even CEOs need to be led. And the way we are led is by being informed on what it is we're trying to accomplish, the most important goal. And just as important is the from what to what by when. Now, I'm the type of guy during my career, I was the type of guy that you you tell me what you want it done and just leave me alone and I'm going to go out and do it. So yeah. if I know the from what to what by when, I'm hell-bent on getting that done. But not everybody is dialed up that way, Jim, are they? <laughs> no. Not everyone's dialed up that way and the world would be an absolute mess if it was, <laughs> if they were. Because we'd all be running around like uh, a phrase in the U.S. is chickens with our head cut off, (laughs) doing all kinds of things. But we need to work as teams. So we all need to be led, not only as individuals, but also as teams. Mm. Right. And so the from what to what by when is the start of it. The way we approach developing and implementing strategy is by engaging everyone in the how. Right. So if we get people in the organization to be part of creating the how, the people who own the things that they work on, then change management is a lot easier because they've been part of developing the how and they have a much stronger commitment to it. Now, let's go back to where we originally started in the podcast where you said, what are people not talking about? We put in in senior level, we put together these great strategies and we create tactics and we identify operating gaps and strategic gaps, but we don't talk enough about the how. 
And in your book, you talk a bit about getting out of the way of uh, the people who own the process and let them look after the how. So it's all about empowering people. Right. It's all about empowerment. And it's all about continuous improvement as well. Yeah. Because continuous improvement tools, Lean Six Sigma, Kaizen, value stream mapping, those things, which we do a ton of that work are all about getting the people who own a business process or a manufacturing process and getting them together and having them collaborate on how to improve it. I find continuous improvement mindset is so lacking in most of the work workplace that I uh, have any association with, and possibly you might agree. I can't believe that people don't also make sure continuous improvement is part of their process. Absolutely. Absolutely. Now, here's what's interesting. I had a conversation with a uh, head of continuous improvement for a multi-billion dollar corporation in Canada. And he called me and he said, I, I want to implement continuous improvement in our organization. And I, I have a plan and I'd like to review it with you and I'd like to get your input. And I said, okay. So I said, share with me your plan. And I probably have had a dozen of these types of conversations over the years. So this young man who is incredibly talented, really smart, knows his stuff, said to me, I've got this training program all laid out and in the four divisions, and we're going to go through and we're going to give the people these skills, right, in order to do continuous improvement. And I said, well, what are you going to have them work on? And he goes, well, I'm going to let them choose that. And I went, no. I said, think of it this way. Continuous improvement and developing a continuous improvement mindset requires that people see results and they see it quickly. Progress. And they have to see progress. They have to see progress. Yes. And senior leadership will only continue funding your effort if they see progress. All right. So here's what my recommendation is. My recommendation is that you go to each one of the senior leaders in each one of the divisions and you ask them what their thorniest problem is. What's the biggest issue standing in your way of achieving your most important goal? And create a program or project to address that issue using continuous improvement tools. Training people, perhaps it's 5S, perhaps it's statistical process control, perhaps it's value stream mapping, you, the, the list of continuous That's improvement That's fantastic. Tools. It's not training in a vacuum. It's giving them uh, a constraint to work on. In fact, that's where Eli Goldratt in The Goal said, Absolutely. work out your top constraint and work with that and then uh, continue until you've, you know, continuously bring in constraints to work on. And I, st I was really impressed by this whole idea of work, identifying your constraint and fixing that. And because that's the 80-20 rule, you fix the top 20% of things, 80% of everything gets fixed. Yeah, well, you're absolutely right, because you have all kinds of good unintended consequences when you fix the biggest inside of, it, it, the biggest issue inside your business right mm -hmm. 
And so if we were talking about the IERG video yeah. uh, that I did a few weeks ago, and inside that, I actually, in talking with Claudia Meyer, said, if I were to do total quality management in Black & Decker again, I would have done it differently. I would have gone to the senior leaders in each one of the 12 divisions that we rolled this program out to and said, give me your thoniest problem and we'll pull together a team inside your organization, including resources from corporate, and we'll put them together and we'll solve that issue for you using this, this concept of total quality management and continuous improvement. And had we done that, they would have seen the results, they would have seen the improvements to their business, and they would have overfunded the activity. Yeah. And so when you uh, explained this idea of tying training to achieving a goal that was fixing a thorny problem, what, what was the leader's uh, response? Uh, so he said, that significantly changes the game. Yes. And that significantly changes my plan. And this was two months ago. I had a conversation with him, actually. And I talked to him last week. And he goes, you won't believe the support I'm getting in the organization for taking this approach. You know, that's exactly how design thinking works. It says starts start with two things. What's the problem you're trying to solve and who's the user that has that problem? And you come up with ideas that is to solve a problem. It's not to do training for training's sake and hope that it trickles out, hope that you have a trickle effect. So going back to implementing strategy mm. using the exact same concept and applying continuous improvement tools not only makes a larger percentage of the organization part of the how, it makes a larger percentage of the organization responsible for it, and it significantly improve, impacts the implementation of strategy in the business. Uh, absolutely wonderful. And so that, is that how continuous improvement becomes a wildfire? That's correct. <laughs> That's how a continuous improvement becomes a wildfire. And I've seen far too many programs during my career where they, they didn't take a, that approach and it fizzled. It became the flavor of the month, which is another, oh. another term we use here in the U.S. for bright, shiny objects that are, you know, grasp very quickly and then six months or nine months later you never hear about it again oh yeah we, we use flavor of the month i think it's a global uh catchphrase <laughs> and you've got to be careful of that because you don't want it to be a fad that they go oh that's uh last year you know you want it you want it to be embedded as the way we do things around here jim tell us about the five hows the five watts and the five whys the five whys is when you look at businesses who already have strategies in place, who have already defined strategy, we add, we go through the five why exercise. Why does this strategy exist? And we ask five times. And we get to the point where we find a common theme, which is what we call the most important goal. Love so it. I, 
I'll give you an example. Please. I was talking to a university, a university a chief operating officer from the university, and he told me what his five strategies were. And I said, okay, why? And he goes, well, we want to add more academic programs so we're more attractive to students. Great. And we want to uh, grow our business in Europe. And I said, why? And he goes, because we want to have more students. Okay. And then he said, we're going to add more academic programs. Or I'm sorry, more athletic programs. And I said, why? And he said, so we are more attractive to students. Right. So what you're telling me is that your most important goal is growth. And he goes, yes. And I said, have you created the metrics around it? From what to what by when? We want to grow 50% by 2026. Okay, great. Now, you talked about the U.S. and you talked about Europe. How does that break down? And he goes, oh, we want far more growth in Europe. Like, great. So why are you going to add a baseball program? Base baseball isn't played in Europe. <laughs> you really need soccer or football, actually. You you really need that, right? Yeah. And if you said you wanted if you said you wanted to grow significantly in India, we're not talking about baseball either. We're talking about cricket. Cricket, <laughs> right? You know, Singapore and India in, in in that region of the world. A number of students that would say, and that, that uni has cricket, <laughs> right? So, you know, at the end of the day, we use the five whys to get to the most important goal. Wow, that's it's really- kind of a back, It's a backward process. Companies that we work with have established strategies. Great. We go through the five whys, come to the most important goal. Then we come back to the strategies and test those strategies against the most important goal. Mm. Now we use the five what's. Right. right. What needs to be done in this strategy in order to achieve the most important goal? So for growth, we want we need to put more campuses in Europe. That's a what? Right. Right. Yes. So we go through that exercise, and now what we've done is we've taken the most important goal, we've tightly tied the strategies to it, then we jump down to the five house. Mm. How are we going to do this? That and that includes people, funding, projects, lots and lots of details around the how in order to be able to lay that out. And so now we've come back full circle, right? From what to what by when. Yes. And now we engage a much larger portion of the organization to be part of the how. Indeed. Very, very important process and simple. Uh, anybody can really embrace that one. That's really good. Now, you're... Uh... 
your pyramid business hierarchy of needs actually has 29 activities. Which ones do you want to talk about <laughs> in the time we have available? Well, before we get to that, what I'd like to do is, is say to your listeners who might re- might be reacting in 29 elements, who might say, I can't do 20, I I can't do 29 things, right? <laughs> we can't manage 29 things. And, you know, a lot of us have, have grown accustomed to the 240 uh, by Twitter messages and the two-minute reads or the four-minute read, right? And, and so we want someone to tell us, give me the three things I need to do in order to make this happen. The 29 elements of the business hierarchy of needs are things that every business already does. Right. Right. There's nothing in the business hierarchy of needs that businesses don't already do, save for the most important goal and perhaps leadership traits. You know, I've done that exercise myself. I've written down everything that we do in our business that is not written down anywhere else. And it becomes this mind map of so many little individual activities. And I go, we just do a mix of these every day and just take it for granted. So I take your point. Yeah. So what is it we're trying to accomplish with the, the business hierarchy of needs? The, re- the reality is that 29 elements all need to be pointed toward the most important goal. Yes. <laughs> right? So if I'm hiring, I need to know what I need in the organization in order to do achieve the most important goal. If I'm doing succession planning, I need to know what I need in the organization in order to support the most important goal. If I'm implementing projects, doing process re-engineering, continuous improvement, I need to make sure that it contributes to us achieving the most important goal. So the reality here is that we're not suggesting that that leadership teams and organizations and and middle-level leaders do anything more than they're already doing, except for one thing. Challenge everything you do on a daily basis and ask this question. Do I need to do this? Number one, that's a continuous improvement mantra. Second piece is, am I doing it in a way that's going to contribute to the most important goal? If the answer is yes, then by all means, carry on. If the answer is no, then your two choices are discarded or redirected. Can you give us an example of an activity that people thought was really important, but when they put it up against this analysis, it didn't achieve the most important goal, so they had to discard it? Can you think of one of those? Well, I can give you a great story from my career if you'd like. Please do. Please do. So I was uh, the head of ops for an appliance manufacturer, and I'm sitting in a meeting, a presentation by a marketing and sales team and product engineering team and they want to make a countertop ice cream maker right so i mean at first blush a countertop ice cream maker for the home is pretty cool 
and you get pretty excited about it, right? <laughs> they wanted two and a half million dollars in funding and resources in order to make this happen. So I'm sitting there listening to this and I'm real quiet. And the CEO looks at me and he goes, Kitty, you're quiet. What's wrong? Because <laughs> as you could probably tell, I love to talk and I'm not a quiet type of guy. And I looked at him and I said, well, I said, you know, we know better than anybody else how to make things hot. We make toaster ovens and coffee makers and curling irons and hair dryers and uh, steam irons and all, you know, all of that kind of stuff. We know better than anybody else how to make things hot. What do we know about making things cold? What a good question. <laughs> right? I mean, we, we don't know anything about refrigeration. We don't know anything about the manufacturing processes associated with that. We don't even have engineers to design pr a product that can do that. And so what you're asking me to do is to significantly change the entire, make a significant change to the operational structure of the business in order to be able to properly support making an ice cream maker. Now, I said, if we decide as a business strategy that we want to become experts at learning how to make things cold, and we have a whole portfolio of products that we're going to put behind that, got it. But what I'm hearing is one product that's going to have huge ramifications throughout the entire supply chain. And I'm concerned about whether we really can afford to take that risk. And he looked, he thought about it for a moment and he said to the marketing and sales team, we're not doing this. No discussion. We're just not doing this. Now, I was not liked by that group. I was persona non grata for a long time because they had spent over $300,000, almost $300,000 in doing ID and preliminary product design and market research and, and those kinds of things. And it was killed immediately. That's a perfect example of a great idea that wasn't going to move us toward our most important goal. Absolutely. It, it didn't fit inside the strategic capabilities of the business. So that's the, that's my favorite one to offer when asked that question. That's a very uh, enlightening example, Jim. Thank you for sharing that one. Yeah, it makes absolute absolute sense. And also, it's coming from such a big picture approach, asking the question, and it's it's asking why. <laughs> there you go. It's asking why. Why become known for a, a product that uh, requires refrigeration when every other product is to supply heat? Right. Mm. So if, if we had decided as a team that our most important goal was to become better than everyone else at making things cold, then we should have had a portfolio of products that it might include iced tea makers. and. Yes. Countertop ice cream and countertop ice cube machines. Yes, yes. But right. that wasn't the that wasn't part of the plan at all. And in fact, they weren't asking the question, what business are we in? Right. Well, if they, and, and they, weren't, 
and they weren't even coming close to leveraging our value proposition. So one of the elements of the business hierarchy of need is value proposition. And I'm continuously amazed at how many companies don't truly understand and appreciate their value proposition. Can you give us an example, please, what what they, what people are missing around their value proposition? So one of the things you want to do, and, and two of the elements in the business hierarchy of needs across that bar in the back are where to play and how to win. Mm. Yes. That's our strategic planning methodology. And I use those terms because all of us understand where That's to right. play. <laughs> and all of us understand how to win. Right? But yeah. what we need to do is leverage our value proposition. So I'll give you an example. In a company that we, we've done the strategic plan for, they do lighting for the movie industry. So, you know, all the great look and the great scenes are all backlit and they're they're done by a group of people called gaffers. Oh, yes. Okay. And so we're working with them on their strategy and they were focused on their, we, we talked to them about their value proposition and they said, well, our value proposition is we provide lighting to the movie industry. And I went, really? And they go, yeah. Well, as it turns out, the two founders of the company are still gaffers. And they spend weekends and a lot of their time on movie sets. So the value, as, as we discussed it further, the value proposition was that we know what you need before everybody else does. Yeah. In lighting. And so they knew that better than anybody else. And when we started talking about that as the value proposition, we were able to create an entire set of strategies on how to leverage that, Look, including uh, changing what the owners did when they were working on the set. Oh, yes. Tell us. Well, once, once it became apparent that that was part of their value proposition, right, they would not only work on the set because that's what they love to do, but they would often go off into, let's go have a beer and pizza and talk about how the tools worked, what what didn't work, what we could do to make it better, make it easier, make the lighting better, how to integrate lighting systems together. And so they were actually, we redefined their activity to be more on the forefront of product development and to actually keep in the back of their mind some of the advanced things and technologies that needed to be done by the company in order to continue to be a leader in production lighting. What what else does a manager need to know about the business hierarchy of needs that they don't already know, do you think? In in the uh, on the website for the book strategyrealized.com mm. Uh, there is a resources tab. And in the resources tab, there is a downloadable workbook on oh. how to create your own business hierarchy, your unique business hierarchy of needs. Oh, what a gift. That's fantastic. We'll put that and in the show notes as well. It actually has instructions 
on how to go about creating it and how to set up the meetings necessary to do that. Yeah. So that's my that's my uh, offer to your listeners and to people who read the book. There are other resources as well. The Where to Play, How to Win Strategic Planning Framework is there that can be downloaded. How to Create Project Charters is, is a resource that's available to be downloaded. So there's a bunch of information. And the workbook, in, inside my book, at the end of each section on each one of the elements of the business hierarchy of needs, I leave you with three or four questions to think about. Mm. And the workbook actually asks you to answer those questions. Nice. And if you answer those questions, then you're actually, you're able to create your own unique business hierarchy of needs, including your most important goal, how to leverage your value proposition, how to create leadership traits, if that's something that you choose to add to your, what I'm going to call cultural toolkit. How to to create skills maps and learning maps. Because as we talked about earlier, a $15 million company requires significantly different skills when it gets to $35 million. And that's all contained in that set of resources. And quite honestly, uh, the reason I did that was because, once again, I'll go back to me. Right? I'm going to go to that workbook and I'm going to look at it. I'm going to start there because... You know the old at the stereotype, right? Guys don't read instructions. So <laughs> I'm gonna go, I'm gonna go right to the workbook and yeah. I'm going to start going through it. And then I'm gonna come back to the book for more explanation on the things that I think I don't understand, how they fit or how they All work. Right. So Jim, uh, uh one question is how do we use the business hierarchy of needs to improve the productivity of the remote workforce? So it's all about engagement. And if you sit and think about it, we've lost a lot of engagement in the workforce because teams aren't together anymore. They're remote. And the Gallup organization created some numbers for my book. And what they suggested is that when you fully engage teams, an 80 plus percent reduction in absenteeism 30% reduction in turnover, 23% profitability, and 18% productivity. By making everyone part of the how and allowing the people from the remote in the remote workforce to be part of the how engages them and makes them feel like they are contributing to a much broader objective or a much larger objective, which is what we call the most important goal. In the United States, productivity is down two years in a row. Oh. How do they uh, measure productivity? So I take my GDP and I divide it by the total amount of wages oh, I pay. right. And so if that number keeps getting um, larger and larger and larger, I have productivity. Aha. Uh -huh. Right? Uh, it's down 3.5% over the last two years. And we historically run one and a half to two percent improvement in productivity every year. So we're actually have a delta in productivity of almost seven percent. Oh. Is that because people were working so much from home? 
So it's a combination of a bunch of things. Yeah. Uh, number one is organizations work really, really hard to get people and overhired, and now they're reticent to, uh, you know, resize themselves. But you're seeing Apple and a lot of big tech companies doing that now. Right. That's the first piece. The second piece is that there's a lot of research out there that says that the work at home approach has become less productive. But it's, people it's because it's happened for so long and for so many days a week. I think the idea of getting back to work to the office at least some days of the week and maybe not throwing all of work from home out the window, but getting back to collaboration and sharing ideas in the workplace together. In fact, I know organisations that are saying, when you come to the office, do it on the days when you do want to collaborate and share ideas. And when you need solo work for thinking uh, projects, that's when you work from home. And using the, the situation for the type of work that you do. Yep. Mm. Thank you for that gift of that resource on your website. And I do have a, a burning question that I seem to not really find good answers for, which is around silos and how to change company culture from silos to collaborative teams. Do you have any perspective on that, please, Jim? I sure do. I sure do. Um, if you think about it, businesses are not run vertically. They're run horizontally. And inside the book, I talk a lot about how teams of people, cross-functional teams of people should be structured based on the way the workflow is designed. So if you sit and think about it, what are the three major parts of a the business? There's the market-facing activities, marketing, sales, product management, product development, customer service. There's the technology backbone. Because let's face it, every business today is run on a technology backbone. Mine is. This podcast, your podcast business, is run on a technology backbone. And then there are the value-added activities. So we talked about your supply chain. You find guests, you prep them, you ask questions. You create the podcast, then you, you provide it to your constituent. You edit it, then you provide it to your constituents. So when you're developing, implementing, developing and implementing strategy, the teams that are doing the how have to be cross-functional. And so as part of the implementation of strategy and tactics, we develop project teams, cross-functional project teams to own the major projects. And what ends up happening is the siloed activity goes away pretty quickly. Because now I have somebody from finance and I have someone from HR and I have someone from manufacturing and I have someone from marketing or engineering working on this project together and they are accountable for that project they are accountable to that project and so it takes away the siloed behavior 
And so I actually believe that businesses should be organized horizontally, not vertically. And I go as far as saying that while there are needs for human resources, HR, and finance, that each one of those three horizontal activities that I talked about should have their own functional people in it. Because think about HR for a second. The HR requirements, the knowledge of the HR's individuals inside the market-facing activities, where to find people, what talents do they need, what companies should they come from, it's going to be completely different than the needs of the value-added side of the business. So we structure everything in cross-functional horizontal teams in the implementation of strategy. And and you're absolutely right, Jim, because what happens is when people work together, they get to know, like, and trust each other. And if they've come from different teams, well, people won't revert to, oh, that team over there and negative nicknames and all those things that create separation. So it cultivates that collaboration. Yeah. Yeah. And continuous improvement demands it anyway. If you sit and think about it, there's not a business process in a company that isn't cross-functional. Someone could say, well, you know, accounts payable is a unique thing inside of finance or accounts receivable is a unique thing inside of finance. And I'm going to say that's not true because accounts payable require things to happen on the receiving dock in transportation logistics and uh, on the factory floor in order to, to make sure that you're justified in paying that account. So yeah. it's a cross-functional activity. While it might be a small group of people sitting in an office, they still have to work cross-functionally with a larger segment of the organization. Well, that's, that's really sound advice, Jim, and I think it's the, the, the best and the only advice to, to, uh, to break down silos. Look, we're coming towards the end of our time, and it's been absolutely enlightening speaking with you and a, and a true honour. Thank you for your time. Um, can you work with uh, any uh, organization anywhere in the world? Do you have that capacity? So the answer is yes. We've done consulting in 11 different countries. Right. And I have a large group of people who are available to work on these types of projects. Now, what's interesting is that 90% of 80% of our business is in manufacturing and distribution. Right. But if you sit and think about what we've been talking about today, the business hierarchy of needs is applicable to any business, any size. And it also applies to teams. Now, here's what's interesting. I was in a conversation the other day, and it's a well, What's your recommendation for someone who reads your book who's an individual contributor? Or what's your recommendation for someone who reads your book who's a team leader? And I said the following. If you lead even a small team and you create a most important goal for your team and you understand how it's going to positively impact the business 
and you get your team focused on all of the activities in the business hierarchy to focus their activities from the business hierarchy of needs on that and you clearly plan the projects that you're going to work on you will be far more effective than any of the other teams you're surrounded by if you've thought it through that well you're guaranteed to be funded and resourced because leaders in the organization, other leaders in the organization are not going to doubt your ability to wisely use those assets. Yes, good advice. Because uh, I understand that if you if you inform everybody in the organization, from small organizations, small businesses to the large global multinationals, if everybody's aware of the most important goal, you win their hearts and minds. And as you said earlier give people a sense of progress, then they feel as if they're contributing to something bigger than themselves. And that's what creates meaning and purpose at work. So this is all part of the solution for a better workplace, a better uh, a better experience for people who uh, in their working, uh, working time. Yeah, to finish the, the answer to your question, because of the way I've structured this, I can lead a company anywhere in the world to creating its unique business hierarchy of needs. Ah, that's good, isn't it? <laughs> we can do the whole thing. We can do the whole thing virtually. Yeah. Yeah, we, we, it's virtual has definitely come of age. So um, uh, I, I imagine uh, there'll be quite a few of our listeners that contact you to take advantage of that That. Uh, structural pers perspective that then informs uh, behavior, mindset, and uh, the, the stra and strategy. It's all about strategy, isn't it? Right. And the book is available on Amazon. It's called Strategy Realized: The Business Hierarchy of Needs. And yeah. so, you know, so your listeners are invited and welcome to call me anytime to just chat. Oh, lovely. That's lovely, Jim. And we'll have uh, the link to the Amazon uh, book in the show notes. Thank you for your time today, Jim. It's been a true honour. Thank you very much, Jim Gitney from Strategy Realised. You're welcome, Nina. And thank you for, for being on your show because it was truly my honour. This episode, we've been speaking with Jim Gitney on the Manage Self, Lead Others podcast for people managers. I'm your host, Nina Sunday. If you like this podcast, go and tell a friend. Many of the listeners I meet say they found it because someone sent them the link and telling them it's a good show to listen to. Remember to subscribe so you catch the next episode. We have conversations with people who share insights on how to elevate and transform team culture. Connect with me on LinkedIn and thank you for listening. Until next time, bye for now. Nina Sunday is on a mission to help leaders transform culture. To book Nina Sunday CSP to speak at your conference, visit ninasunday.com to request a proposal. Nina travels from Brisbane, Australia for in-person presentations Australia-wide. Twice certified virtual presenter, Nina Sunday presents virtually, globally, for any time zone. This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com.